arms. Give it your all. We'll, we'll drink, drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance for Jack of the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and today we are jumping into Chapter 4, Strings. And we are jumping, interestingly enough, into a non-usual, it might actually be the first time we jump into this perspective, instead of being Matt, we're actually jumping into Tom Marilyn's perspective. And I think this is kind of the start of the series jumping out of the main character's heads and into some side character's heads to give a perspective that might be a little bit different, but is used to inform the reader slash listener. If you're on audiobook um, about the current state of affairs, how something is going um, from an outsider perspective of the, the, the main characters, which is a very, I wouldn't say, well, I can't say it's unique. It's not like it's never happened before, but it is unique in the way that we don't see it terribly often. It's usually everything's coming from the same character. Like, um, I'm not familiar with like every book, but I'm just going to pick one like Harry Potter and say, okay, most of the time you're expecting it to be from Harry Potter's perspective, right? Like you, you'd expect Harry Potter as the main character to be the main. And then obviously like Hermione and Ron being kind of like also the main characters, but you wouldn't expect somebody who's not well known or is, you know, a supporting character, but not like playing what you'd expect to be a major role to be the one you get the point of view from like, Oh, look, would you look at Ron, Hermione and Harry doing X, Y, and Z. You wouldn't expect that most of the time. So this is kind of an interesting, and don't get me wrong, I don't know that might happen in Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm just using it as an example because I haven't read Harry Potter. Um, but in this perspective, we have Tom Marilyn kind of playing the great game, if you will. And he's writing on something and using sand to uh, blot the ink and basically absorb the ink. That's how they did it back in the olden days. Um, to prevent smearing and all that kind of stuff. So if you wanted something to look nice, you'd write on your piece of paper with your ink and quill, and then you'd put sand on it to kind of absorb the leftover, and then you'd wipe the sand off, and then paper is the way the way it's supposed to be. It's actually kind of an interesting way to do things, and you can just reuse the sand over and over again. But he's pouring the sand back into his jar, flips the lid shut, and, you know, going through some papers, and doing his things um he kind of puts everything together with what he'd written and you know kind of smiles about it the high lord carleon himself would have thought it was his own hand and what is written is be wary your husband suspects only those words no signature but now if he could arrange for high lord tadosian to find it where his wife the lady altima might carelessly have left it, might have a uh, a big ordeal on their hands. So there's a knock on the door. He jumps, kind of startled. No one really comes to see him at this time of the night, because remember, all these things are happening kind of simultaneously, but 
it's late at night. That's kind of the, the big kicker. He's like, a moment. And he stuffs his pens and ink pots and everything into this battered writing chest. He's like, the moment while well, I put on a shirt. And he locks the chest, shoves it under the table where it might escape casual notice, and runs an eye over his small windowless room to see if he left anything out that nobody was supposed to be able to see. And there's a bunch of stuff for juggling, different theatrical, I guess, devices that he would use. Um, his Gleeman's cloak covered with loose patches and a hundred colors hanging from a peg on the wall. Kind of exp we get a little description of what his Gleeman's cloak looks like, actually. Um, the beginning of this book, because you might need a refresher course from the last book, because who knows how long it's been since the last book, or not the last, yeah, I guess the last book. Um, or anytime Tom has actually used it, we've got a description, so it's like, why not, you know, bring it up? Um, but there's a woman's diaphanous red silk scarf tied around the straps of the harp case, but it could have belonged to anybody, and he doesn't remember who had tied it there, but he doesn't really pay any attention to one woman more than any other, and it's lighthearted and laughing. Make them laugh, even make them sigh, but avoid entanglements. That was his motto. He doesn't have time for those. At least, that's what he told himself. I'm on my way, I'm on my way. He limps to the door, very irritably. He used to draw oohs and ahs from people who could hardly believe, even while they watched, that a raw-boned, white-haired old man could do backstrings, handstands, flips, all that stuff. Limber and quick as a boy. But... Receiving this limp, and actually put an end to that, and he really hated it. The leg ached worse when it, he was tired. But he jerks the door open and blinks in surprise. I was like, well, come in, Matt. I thought you'd be hard at work lightening Lordling's purses. And Matt's, like, really sour. He's like, well, they didn't want to gamble anymore. And he drops onto the three-legged stool that served as a second chair. His coat was undone with his hair disheveled. His brown eyes darted around, never resting on any one spot long. But their usual twinkle, suggesting that the lad saw something funny where no one else did, was missing tonight. Now this is a, kind of an important description of how, like, I don't think it's ever actually been described in this way for Matt. I mean, not the, his coat being undone and hair disheveled, I mean, that's, that's something that can change. But uh, his brown eyes darting around, it's like, okay, he's got brown eyes, cool. But a twinkle in his eye that lets others know that he thinks... It basically shows them, like, oh, he thinks something's funny, where everybody else is trying to figure out what is so funny. So he's got a little bit of a sense of humor, his little sarcastic wit, dry humor kind of going on. And nobody else really typically sees what he sees and when it's so funny. Um, he's a very lighthearted guy, let's put it that way. Um, but it's missing which obviously as a reader, we understand why considering what just happened. Um, Tom's about to get filled in. Um, but Tom notices that it's missing. So other people can notice it, but unlikely that people who would probably be considered as either acquaintances or less would notice. That would be my assumption. Um, but Tom, Tom frowns at him, you know, trying to think is like Matt never stepped across this threshold without a quip about the shabby room but he accepted Tom's explanation you know sleeping in the servants quarters would help people forget that he had shown up in the shadow of an eye to die but Matt seldom let a chance for a joke pass because again he's a light-hearted sarcastic dry humored witty person like I can relate because I love my dry humor witty sarcastic 
humor type stuff. Like, it's really fun. Although I don't have a whole lot of people to share it with. But when I do, I let, I let fly. But this shows that Matt's kind of out of character. First, he doesn't have that twinkle in his eye. And now he doesn't have a joke for something that he normally would. But Tom's worried. He's like, well, if you realize the room, you know, also sure that no one could think of Tom having a connection to the Dragon Reborn, Matt, being Matt, probably thought that's a reasonable wish because Matt doesn't want to be tied to the Dragon Reborn either, or at least in people's minds. Um, but Tom had taken about two sentences delivered in haste during a rare moment when no one was looking to make Rand see the real point. Everyone listened to a Gleeman. Everyone watched him, but no one really saw him or remembered who he talked to as long as he was only a Gleeman. His hedgerow entertainment's fit for country folk and servants, and maybe the amused ladies. That's what the tyrants saw. It's not like he's a bard, after all. <laughs> Which is funny, because historically he was. But Tom's wondering what was bothering Matt enough to bring him down at this hour. Maybe another one of the young women, some old enough to know better, who had let themselves be caught by Matt's mischievous grin... But he'd pretend it was one of Matt's usual visits until the lad said otherwise. Well, I'll go get the stones board. It's late, but we have time for one game. And he couldn't resist adding, Would you care to put a wager on it? He would never have tossed dice with Matt for even a copper, but stones is a different matter. He thought there was too much order and pattern in stones for Matt's strange luck. So we already know from the previous couple chapters, the last, should say the last chapter where Matt was playing cards, um, that Matt prefers dice because of the randomness over cards, which has a lot less randomness in it because it's also based upon what you have in your hand, what you can also put on the on the table and everything. Like it's there's there's more to it than just, you know randomness. So this shows that other people who are familiar with his luck, which Tom is can really take advantage of this luck, if you will. Um, they can basically say, hey, you know, I know this this weakness to this. The weakness to his luck is constant order, consistency, I guess constant consistency. <laughs> but there's too much order and pattern for stones, which is a strategy game, for luck to happen. Now, to be fair, one could... Assume that if Matt closed his eyes, picked up a stone, and randomly set it somewhere on the table, he might actually win. Maybe. But if he's actually like thinking about patterns and thinking about strategies and power plays and all that type of stuff, it probably wouldn't work. At least not very often and not in a way to win them games. But Matt's like, no, no, what, what, no, 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 Tom, it's a, too late for games. But did anything, you know, I don't know happen down here maybe but tom's leans the stone board against the table leg and dugs out his tobacco pouch and long stem pipe out of a litter remaining on the table and he's like like what do you mean thumbing the bowl full he had time to stick a twist of paper in the flame of one of the candles puff the pipe of light and blow out the spill before matt answered meaning matt answered quite slowly you know maybe like ran going insane like that you know no, you don't have to ask if it had. And Tom's shoulders kind of like prickle. 
He blows out a blue-gray streamer of smoke as calmly as he could. He's like, well, what happened? Matt's like, the playing cards tried to kill me. Yamalin and the High Lord, and I didn't dream it, Tom. That's why those puffed-up jackdaws don't want to gamble anymore. They're afraid it'll happen again. I'm thinking of leaving Tyr, Tom. But the prickling left as if the black, as if he had black wasp nettles stuffed down his back. Why had he not left Tyr himself long since? You know, definitely the wisest thing. Hundreds of villages lay out there, waiting for a gleeman to entertain and amaze them. And each with an inn or two full of wine to drown memories. But if he did, Rain would have no one except Moraine to keep the High Lords from maneuvering him into the corners. And maybe cutting his throat. She could do it, of course, using different methods than his. At least, he thought she could. She was Kyrienan, which meant she'd probably taken in the game of houses with her mother's milk. Which is supposed to be kind of a play on, you know, a Kyrianan, especially of a noble house or something, would play the game of the houses as naturally as breathing. It's kind of like everyone knows that Kyrian are into the game of houses, so anyone who's trying to play the game of houses just has to know that everyone's playing the game of houses at all times, and you can pretty much play the game of houses. You might not be good at it, but you can at least participate. But from Tom's perspective, he thinks that Moraine's going to tie another string to Rand for the tower, the White Tower, while she's about it. Mesh him in some Aes Sedai net so strong he wouldn't ever be able to get out. But if he's going mad so soon, Tom calls himself a fool, a pure fool to stay mixed in because of something 15 years in the past, his nephew being stilled, or not stilled, gentled, and then going off and dying. It's like staying wouldn't change what was done for, but he has to see Rand face to face, no matter what he had told about keeping clear. Perhaps no one would think it too odd if Gleeman asked to perform a song for the Lord Dragon, a song especially composed. He knew a deservedly obscure Kandori tune, praising some unnamed lord for his greatness and courage in grandiose terms that never quite managed to tame to name deeds or places. It had probably been brought up by some lord who had no deeds worth naming. Well, he could use it now, unless Moraine decided it was strange. That'd be as bad as the High Lords taking notice. I am a fool. I should be out of here tonight. But while he's rolling inside, his stomach turning acid, but he thought about the long years learning to keep his face straight before he ever put on a gleeman's cloak. He puffed three smoke rings, one inside the other, and said, So you've been thinking about leaving Tyr since the day you walked into the stone. Matt's like, gives him an angry look, going, I mean to. I mean, I do, but why not come with me, Tom? There are towns where they think the Dragon Reborn hasn't drawn a breath yet where nobody's given a thought to the bloody prophecies of the bloody dragon in years, if ever. Places where they think the Dark One is a grandmother's tale, and Trollocs are travelers' wild stories, and Murdral ride shadows to scare children. You could play your harp and tell your stories, and I could find a game of dice. We could live like lords, traveling as we want, staying where we want, with no one trying to kill us. <laughs> Tom thought that hit a little too close for comfort. He was a fool, and... There it was. You just had to make the best of it. It's like, well, if you really mean to go, why haven't you? And Matt's like, 
Moraine watches me, and when she isn't, somebody else is doing it for her. He's like, oh, I know. I said I don't like to let someone go once they lay hands on them. He knows it's more than that, but more than that was openly known, obviously. But Matt denied any such thing, and no one else who knew was talking either. If anyone besides Moraine did even know. But it didn't matter. He liked Matt. He even owed him in a fashion, but... Matt and his troubles were definitely a street corner rarity compared to Ran. But I can't believe she really has someone watching you all the time. I was like, well, as good as. She's always asking people where I am, what I'm doing. It gets back to me. Do you know anybody who won't tell an Aes Sedai what she wants to know? I don't. As good as being watched. Well, you could have avoided eyes if you put your mind to it. I've never seen anyone as good at sneaking about as you, and I mean that as a compliment. Matt's like, well, something always comes up. There's so much gold to be had here, and there's a big-eyed girl in the kitchen who likes a little kiss and tickle, and one of the maids has hair like silk to her waist, and the roundest... And then he realizes he sounds really foolish. He's like, have you considered maybe it's because... And Matt's like, hey, Tom, if you mention Tavirin, I'm leaving. Tom changes what he's going to say. <laughs> he was going to say. He was going to say Tavirin. It's like, maybe it's because Rand is your friend and you don't want to desert him. Desert him? Matt had kicked over the stool as he jumped up. Tom, he's the bloody dragon reborn. At least that's what Moraine and him say, but maybe he is. I mean, you know, he can channel and has that bloody sword that looks like glass. Uh, prophecies, I don't know. But I know that I would have to be crazy as the Terrans to stay. Tyrants, my bad. But he pauses and he's like, well, you don't think Moraine is, you know, keeping me here with the power? And Tom's like, I don't think she can. And he knows a little bit about Aes Sedai, enough to have an idea that they, how much he doesn't know, but he's pretty positive this, he's not allowed, that, that's not a thing they can do. Which I like to point out is, is actual canon, you can't do that, but yeah. <laughs> Outside of the, um, early on in book one, when she gives those coins out that has like, uh, award or something on those coins so basically she can follow the coins as long as they have they have it that's what she can do but it doesn't like let them see everything hear every conversation all that kind of stuff like there's there's limitations much much more limiting than what he's referencing and matt puts his fingers through his hair and it's like you know tom i think about leaving all the time but there's these strange feelings i get it's like Something was going to happen. You know, something, but momentous. I think that's the word. It's like knowing there'll be fireworks for Sunday, only I don't know what it is I'm expecting. Whenever I think too much about leaving, it happens. And suddenly, I found some reason to stay another day. And just one more bloody day. Always one more bloody day. That sounds an awful lot like I said I work, doesn't it? Tom swallowed the word. Tavirin and took his pipe from between his teeth to peer into smoldering tabak. There's not a whole lot about Tavirin he knew, but not really anyone did except I Sedai or maybe an Ogier. But he responds, I was not much good help at helping people with their problems. He's like, especially my own, he's thinking to himself. With an I Sedai close to hand, I'd advise most people to ask her for help. He's like, advice I'd not take myself. Max's like, what? Ask Moraine? And Tom's like, well, I suppose that's out of the question in this case, but 
Nineveh was your wisdom back in Emmons Field. Village wisdoms are used to answer people's questions, helping them with their problems. Matt gave a snort of laughter and put up with one of her lectures about drinking and gambling and Tom, she acts like I'm 10 years old. Sometimes I think she believes I'll marry a nice girl and settle down on my father's farm. Tom quietly responds, Some men would not find it an objectionable life. Well, I would. I want more than cows and sheep and tobacco for the rest of my life. I want... He shakes his head. He's like, All these holes in my mind are empty and my memory just... I, I don't... I just... I want to fill them. I just want to fill them in. I know what I want, but burn me, I don't know what I know. Because I want to know what I don't know, but that's a twisty riddle, isn't it? It's like, I'm not sure that an I said I can help with that. A Gleeman definitely can't. I said no, I said I, and Tom's like, calm. I wasn't suggesting it, Matt. I am leaving, as soon as I can fetch my things and find a horse, not a minute longer. In the middle of the night, the morning will do. He refrained from adding... If you actually do leave. Sit down, relax, we'll play a game of stones. I have a jar of wine here somewhere. Matt hesitates, glancing at the door, but then he jerked his coat straight. Eh, the morning will do. He picked the overtu picked up the overturned stool and sets it behind, behind the table. But no wine for me. Strange enough things happen when my head is clear. I want to know the difference. Tom was thoughtful, and he puts the board and bags of stones on the table. Just that easily, the lad was diverted pulled along by an even stronger Taviran named Randall Thor. That was how Tom saw it. It occurred to him that he wondered if he was caught in the same way. His life had never been heading towards the stone of terror in the room where he first met Rand, but then it had been twitched about like a kite string. If Rand had really gone mad and he had decided to leave, would, the reason, would he also find reasons to keep putting it off? Matt's like, what is this, Tom? His boot had found the writing case under the table. Is it all right if I move it out of my way? Sure, go right ahead. And he winces as Matt shoves the case aside roughly with his foot. He had actually hoped he corked all the ink bottles tight. Choose, he holds out his fists. Matt tapped the left, and Tom opened it to reveal a smooth black stone, flat and round. The boy chortled, having the first go, and placed the stone on the cross-hatched board. No one seeing the eagerness in his eyes would have suspected only moments before he had been twice as eager to go. A greatness he refused to recognize clinging to his back, and an eye said I intending on keeping hair for one of her pets. This poor lad was well and truly caught. But if he was caught as well, Tom decided, it'd be worth it to help one man at least keep free of eye said I. Worth it to make a payment to that 15-year-old debt. Suddenly and definitely strangely content, he set a white stone. Did I ever tell you, he said around his pipe stem, about the wager I once made with a Damani woman? She had eyes that could drink a man's soul and an odd-looking red bird she had bought off a seafolk ship. She claimed it could tell the future. This bird had a fat yellow beak nearly as long as its body, and it that's the end of that chapter. <laughs> much, much shorter than the last several we've gone through. But I always enjoy Matt chapters, and I always enjoy Tom chapters, because they're both very interesting characters.
Matt's obviously my favorite. Um, I am unabashedly unashamed of that. But, yeah. He's obviously talking about a, a Tookie bird, I believe. Tookie, Tookie. But, yes. Um, that was the end of the chapter. We learn a little bit about Matt being trapped through the Taviran. We understand a little bit more about the Taviran process. And uh, Tom helping Rand by basically turning the High Lords against each other. Or against themselves, at times. And trying to keep Rand out of the clutches of the Aes Sedai as much as possible. And playing the game of houses, but a lot better than these High Lords are able to understand. Um, and, you know, he feels like he's continuing his path as almost a mentor, like he was on the spray. So, it's definitely an interesting way to go about things, I guess is the best way to say it. But, yeah. Um, what did you guys think? Uh, was it, I mean, it's probably a little too short for most people, considering we're under 30 minutes. But um, I am interested into knowing what your thoughts are. And if you like uh, Matt's storyline so far, if you think it's kind of not really taken off yet. Um, did you like seeing Tom's point of view for once? Because it's, I don't think it's ever been from his point of view until now. But, well, actually, I, I take that back. We had one after Rand leaves the bunch of grapes. Um, or no. Yeah, well, Rand had left, and then Tom was just coming back to the bunch of grapes, and that's when he finds Dina dead, and he's got a man to kill. So there was one time, very short time period, um, probably actually about the same time, um, or not the same time, same amount, uh, where we get his point of view. But it, it's, they're very rare, but it's nice. This is the first time of this book, definitely, obviously, because we haven't had Tom yet. Um, so yeah, this would be the second time from Tom's perspective. So I stand corrected to myself. <laughs> well, I sit. But yes, um, let me know what you guys thought about this particular chapter. I'd love to know. Um, you can reach out on Facebook, Tales of a Red Arm, or you can reach out on Twitter, slash X, which is at Tales of a Red Arm, or you can reach out to me directly through email, Tales of a Red Arm at gmail.com. Um, if you would like to join the Discord and hang out, talk, ask questions, whatever you'd like, feel free to join. The links should be on both Twitter X slash Facebook, or should I say Twitter slash X and Facebook. Probably the easiest way to understand it. Um, but if you don't find or don't have access to those or whatever, but you still want to join in, just chat. Um, you can reach out to me through email directly and I'll get you a link and you can pop in and have fun with that. Um, I'm on every single day at some point. So if you put something in the chat, I will respond at some point. So, uh, but yeah, love to hear from you guys and we'll go ahead and stop here. But we do have chapter five coming up and it'll be a, well, I guess we'll see what it's going to be about because I don't want to give any spoils. But we are changing points of view again. Um, it's a little bit longer. Um, nothing super super crazy or anything like that. But it's probably about 
oh, I don't know, double the, double the length of this one. So I should get a good 45 hour out of it. Unless we get really, really in depth, but yes. <laughs> anyway, thanks everybody for hanging out and hopefully you'll join me for the next episode next time. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day And on the girls will spend our pay And when we're done then we'll away To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And snuggle the girls be they short or tall And follow young Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the mags, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Yeah! <laughs>